Welcome to the Tall Poppies podcast. To find out more about our guests or the content of the program, including information about the musical excerpts, visit our website at tall-poppies.com. And a very warm welcome to the first of three Tall Poppies postcards. I'm Brendan O'Shea. Thanks for joining me on the podcast that spotlights Australian luminaries around the world. To find out more about Tall Poppies, the podcast, don't visit our website. You'll find it at tall-poppies.com. Now, as it's the European summer, I've had time to visit my archives to select a few interviews with renowned Australians that I've had the honour of interviewing over the last decades. In the next few weeks, I'll be publishing 10-minute excerpts from a few of these interviews, and I'm going to call them Tall Poppies Postcards. My first postcard features the Australian poet Robert Gray, whom I met on several occasions here in Berlin, where he was a guest of the annual Autumn Literature Festival. But like many who went to school in Australia, I actually first encountered Robert's poetry there, where it was an integral part of the English curriculum. It's always something visual that interests me, makes me start writing. Not an idea, uh, not an anecdote, but uh, some visual scene. And uh, then I discover what I'm interested in, in other areas, through the visual image. But the image comes first and then opens out and uh, often becomes a sort of philosophical poem. But uh, I had no idea of the content. I think I like to write because I discover what I think about things that way. I wouldn't understand my own experience if I didn't write about it. Robert Gray was born in Port Macquarie, but grew up and was educated in Coffs Harbour, another town on the north coast of the Australian state of New South Wales. Due to a diagnosis of a life-threatening heart condition, which turned out to be mistaken, he stopped going to school. Initially, he worked as a journalist, later settling in Sydney in the 1970s, where he held positions as an editor, an advertising copywriter and a reviewer. His first book of poems, called Creek Water Journal, was published in 1973. Now, Robert is regarded as an outstanding landscape poet and, alongside Les Murray, has been one of the most significant Australian poets of the last decades. Indeed, the late Les Murray said of Robert Gray, he has a remarkable eye and the verbal felicity that must accompany such an eye. Robert sees himself in the tradition of Edward Thomas, D.H. Lawrence and William Carlos Williams and as a realist, in the sense of a philosophical concept, that there is nothing in the mind except what was first in the senses. His poems convey precise images of life's changes and rhythmic independence and might best be described as almost capturing an accurate portrayal of our mental states. In the 1996 volume of poems, Lineations, Robert's commitment to graphic quality becomes clear. Liliations was an important work because it made him well-known outside the English-speaking world. Robert's experience of East Asian cultures and their varieties of Zen Buddhism is also evident through the themes and the forms in which he chooses to work. But essentially, 
It is his response to Australian nature that leaves the greatest impression. This is reinforced by what he sees as an eastern view of man within nature rather than an agent capable of controlling it. Robert has been writer-in-resident at Meijing University in Tokyo and at several schools and universities throughout Australia. He's also edited various poetry anthologies and the journals of the painter John Olson. Robert Gray's work has been awarded many of the most respected Australian literary prizes, including the New South Wales Premier's Poetry Award, the Victorian Premier's Award for Poetry, and the Patrick White Award. Indeed, many of Robert Gray's poems have been translated into German. In this excerpt from one of my interviews with the poet in 2008, we talked firstly about Berlin and just how inspirational he found this rather intriguing city for his writing. If we were to take the Australian poet out of Australia and to actually place him in Berlin, what do you think might happen to your work? I can write anywhere because anything that strikes me visually becomes subject matter. I've written many travel poems about many places. Uh, I'm a bit like D.H. Lawrence, a great hero of mine as a poet in that I get an immediate solar plexus response to a place which I then uh, find fades rather than... My first impressions are my best impressions, always. So I could certainly uh, write something here. I feel I could produce something in this city. And I'm particularly interested in German painting, so it would be a rich field for me to look into. It's always something visual that interests me, makes me start writing. Not an idea, uh, not an anecdote, but uh, some visual scene. And uh, then I discover what I'm interested in in other areas through the visual image. But the image comes first and then opens out and uh, often becomes a sort of philosophical poem. But uh, I had no idea of the content. I think I like to write because I discover what I think about things that way. I wouldn't understand my own experience if I didn't write about it. Do you have any idea what actually triggers this need for the poem then, apart from the visual thing? I mean, of course, one is influenced the whole time. One wanders around of a day and sees thousands of various things that might actually inspire or, or trigger something. Is there a particular process for you? No, it's just seeing a striking image. I'm more like a painter, really. I see a visual shape, a tree that's very striking and I think of some comparison for it it's like something you know it's a tree like a fish's skeleton you know with all the flesh off it a wintry tree that might occur to me as this just did and then that will remind me of a memory of a railway embankment and a waiting room at a railway station in the country and then that'll remind me of my father and so on. The experience, hidden, suppressed feelings will come up and will arise out of that image. So the image is an access to the deeper levels of the mind, I think. That's what happens. Does the poem actually come in a form for you or do you actually work on it and then start to understand what it's going to be? Uh, The latter way that you describe. The form for me is a comment on the content it's in free verse and very uh, existential, improvised-looking poem that belongs to a different tradition. 
to a formal poem with regular metre, and some subjects seem to require that they be rela- related to the tradition of poetry, and you use uh, a traditional metre to express the poem's affinity, the emotion's affinity with what's gone before, with what other people have done, how this poem of mine is a comment on the tradition of poetry, a reaction to it. But some poems are much more uh, improvised because they're um, more made up on the spur of the moment and they're charting different experiences than you're used to finding in literature. So it depends. Some poems of mine are in prose because they seem to relate to the work of other prose writers. It's always commenting on the content, the form. You prefer similes to metaphors, for example? I like the accuracy, the clean accuracy of the simile. A simile says, of a very brave person, he is like a lion. So you see him and the lion separate. And you see that in some aspects, he is like a lion. But if you say he is a lion, you muddy the image. You get a grotesque creature, which I see as a sort of lion-headed man, you know. There's something symbolic and mythological and surreal. It's not like uh, the simile where you respect the visual integrity of the, of the objects that you're speaking about. So it seems more rational and more clean-cut to use the simile. I'm an Enlightenment man. I believe, I believe in the principles of the Enlightenment. You know, that, and going on, to me, the metaphor is essentially a religious uh, type of figure of speech. It's about the uh, incredible happening, whereas a simile is uh, believable but still shocking and surprising. It's mainly the respect for the visual world's essential nature that makes me want to use it, not to smudge and overlay the visual world with one's emotions, but to put one's emotion beside the visual. He is like a lion the line exists separately and it's, um, they're not confused. So that's the sort of philosophical attitude. It's an attitude of respect for things as they are, I think. Robert Craig, would you be kind enough to, to read something from this wonderful new book? Yes. This is a rather unusual poem in that it's very formal. It's a poem called Harbour Dusk. The harbour is the Sydney harbour, which is a big harbour. Um, as you know, it's a long harbour, one of the magnificent harbours of the world. And it's a complex harbour. It's shaped like a ginseng root, you know, uh, very full of tributaries and coves and nooks and bays. Uh, so when it says that there's bush, forest, woodland across the harbour, that's literally the case. There is a foreshore reserve on much of the northern side of the harbour. It's in four-line stanzas rhymed. She and I came wandering through an empty park and we laid our hands on a stone parapet's fading life. Before us across the oily aubergine dark of the harbour we could make out yachts. Beneath an overcast sky that was mauve underlit against a far shore of dark, crumbling bush. Part of the city to our left was fruit shop bright. 
After the summer day, a huge, moist hush. The yachts were far across their empty fields of water. One at times was gently rested like a quill. They seemed to whisper, slipping amongst each other, always hovering, as though resolve were ill. Away off through the strung bridge, a sky of mulberry and orange chiffon, mauve grey, each cloven sail, like nurses in a deep corridor, some melancholy, or nuns going to an evening confessional. The point of the poem is the failure of the rhyme at the end, where it rhymes sail and confessional. <laughs> it's a poem about the failure of a relationship and about thinking about failure in general. Failure is our lot. And the day fails and everything else fails. But as I said, melancholy is a very relaxing emotion. <laughs> Tell us about the role of an Australian poet and, of course, poetry in Australia. Of course, it must be a difficult way of surviving. I think uh, Les and I are the, probably the only two who've made a living out of writing poetry. Not a living, but spin-offs from writing poetry have been the way that we've supported ourselves. Invitations to universities, uh, teaching but not official teaching, casual teaching, but constant teaching, being set for the um, high school examinations, all of that sort of thing. Australia is quite generous toward its writers, but there aren't many poets who have been so fortunate. I think it depends on statistics. The population is not so great there, so statistically we don't have so many peculiar people who, who want to write poetry. Well, statistically, though, we're, we're also... Australia is also a very wealthy country. Mm. And when we compare that with uh, a country like Germany that spends a much, much greater amount of money on their artists and making sure that artists are able to work and write and create... I'm not too worried about the government support. I, don't, I think it has disadvantages as well as advantages so that when you uh, have the government supporting the uh, the poetry, writing poetry, you get a situation that's like a Darwinian swamp. You get people ravaging on each other and it destroys the, uh, the atmosphere of camaraderie that there is amongst writers in some countries. And there's a constant competition and uh, it sours the air. So there's that disadvantage. While I'm grateful for having had many grants, scholarships, prizes and patronage, uh, I can see the disadvantages of the government being involved in it. It becomes a, a lobbying situation, which is destructive in a way, that atmosphere. So there are advantages and disadvantages to it. I know what you mean. Of course, in my job, I, I meet a lot of artists around the world, and I often have the feeling in this day and age that they answer questions not honestly but politically, yes. and I find that quite worrying. It's bad for the situation of uh, reviewing books. In Australia, everyone who reviews knows everyone who's being reviewed. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of dishonesty, really, comes into the atmosphere through that. Or if you do say the truth, then, as you see it, then there are vendettas next time you come up for a grant and, you know, so on. So government patronage is a double-edged 
situation, really. The poet Robert Gray and the first Tall Poppies postcard, A Journey into My Archives. If you'd like to find out more about Robert's work, visit the Tall Poppies website, tall-poppies.com, or send us an email to info at tall-poppies.com. Tall Poppies the podcast was produced in Berlin by me, Brendan O'Shea. It was nice to have you with us, and I look forward to welcoming you to our next edition of Tall Poppies the podcast very soon. Goodbye.